turns out he'd lived behind me for like for like the last couple of years and we'd never bumped into each other Welcome to the Jazz Matters podcast with me, Darren Harper. Well, it has been quite some time now since our last episode where we learned a little bit more about the superb trumpeter and band leader Mark Kavuma, which was way back in July of last year. Well, I have to admit it was never my intention to take a break, but as for many people, I guess it's just taken some time to settle in to the new way of life we have all been faced with. And of course, I didn't disappear completely as I have still been presenting the London Jazz Review every Saturday on Jazz Bites Radio. But 2021 has got me feeling refreshed and revitalised. And I have a really exciting lineup of guests for you over the coming weeks. And we will return now to fortnightly episodes of the podcast. So if you haven't done already, get over to jazzmatters.net and sign up to the mailing list to make sure you are the first to hear all the exciting news coming your way. And whilst you're at it, you can find Jazz Matters across pretty much all of the social media sites. Just search for Jazz Matters and look for the blue logo. Well, this is episode 37 of the podcast and we start pretty much where we left off with some exceptional young talent coming out of London town. This time out, it is the sensational pianist, Joe Webb. Now, regular listeners of the podcast would have already heard some of Joe's work on here before in the Adrian Cox episode and the Kansas Smitties episode. And if you haven't heard those yet, they are, of course, still available at jazzmatters.net or wherever you are listening to this podcast. But this time, the spotlight is very much on Joe, and we will be learning where it all started for him, how he travelled across the country to pursue his ambition of becoming a jazz musician, as well as what he hopes the future may look like as we start to move out of these very strange times. All of that is coming up right after we hear a little bit of something from Joe Webb's latest EP for everything else. This is called Goats. Thank you. 
Joe Webb is one of the most in-demand pianists on a vibrant new London jazz scene, but he certainly isn't native to London. Growing up in Wales, Joe's introduction to music came primarily through his dad, who was a DJ working across Europe and who was always playing his vinyls in the house. But his early experiences with the piano are very much down to his granddad, who played, as Joe describes it, pub piano. And the feeling Joe got when he watched his granddad play is something he will never forget. Every time uh, we went to go and visit my nan and granddad in, in Basingstoke, he'd always sit, sit and play for me for a couple of hours. And I, f- I used to find it really, really inspiring. I used to sit on the floor, you know, look, looking up at him. And he seemed to be having such a great time all the time when, when he was playing. And I remember thinking, like, I wonder what that feels like to be in control of that feeling. You know, like you're sort of, you know, you're making yourself feel like that just from playing, playing this instrument. And I guess I was kind of got really, really obsessed with it, and I really got obsessed with the sound of it, especially that world of playing, that sort of feel-good kind of, yeah, pub piano sort of playing. Joe's parents eventually bought him his own small Casio keyboard, and despite the tiny keys, Joe practised religiously, constantly running his scales, until he proved to his parents this was not a phase and they finally agreed to buy a piano. Joe's early obsession with becoming a professional footballer soon started to fade as life on the piano stool took over. But the inspiration to make music his living didn't come from where you might expect. I went to Woolworths one one morning and I bought uh, What's the Story Morning Gloria. I, th- I think it was on cassette at the time. I t- I, it was. It would have been early '90s, you know, whenever whenever it came out. And I remember not being able to turn it off, and I was just s- literally singing around the house. I was pretending to be like a rock star, like sort of yeah, playing, just playing air guitar to What's the Story Morning Gloria, you know, to like some might say and um, and uh, Wonderwall and Champagne Supernova, and yeah, like that that feeling that that I had from that was just so euphoric. I, was, it, I think it was more, it's one of the most powerful feelings I've still ever, ever really felt. Uh, it was just like my like future had sort of been decided from one little short trip into Morriston, the, the little local town in Swansea. It was from, it was really from then where I was so set on, on doing it. So how did a young boy inspired by one of the biggest rock bands in history end up being such a well-respected jazz pianist? Well, the truth is, whilst at the time he may not have called it jazz, Joe's initial instinct was to emulate the music he so enjoyed listening to his granddad play. This involved a lot of playing around with different melodies, just improvising with different sounds. And where there is improvisation, one almost always ends up at jazz. I used to just sit down and play, just improvise. I don't know, it's it, it sort of in, in a similar way to what I remember hearing my granddad play like, which would have been like sort of boogie-woogie, pub piano, 
like a lot of rock and roll, obviously through my dad's influence. I remember just being like, this is what I want to do. This is, this is really, I don't know, really just gives you the most powerful feeling. I had like classical piano lessons, but I don't know, I was always looking for like maybe a little bit of deviation away from, from what, what I should have been doing. It was like, I had trouble reading music anyway. So I was just sort of filling in the gaps, I guess. My old piano teacher, Penny Davis, she was incredible. She, um, she used to write chord symbols over Bach and Beethoven just because she knew that I, wouldn't, I couldn't really follow the notation very well. Um, and obviously like chords, I, I, I don't know, I've, I kind of found a lot easier to, to understand and put into uh, context. And then for, just from having like the springboard of the chords, it was easier to almost have an educated guess, I guess, into finding what the actual melody would be and letting your ear lead you in a, in a, in a way yeah, sometimes correct, sometimes wrong, but it was, yeah, it was, it was a lot easier to understand that. While spending a lot of time in Cardiff, Joe got to meet with many musicians who passed through the city, and very early on, it became clear to him that his future lay in London. Unfortunately, the difference in the cost of accommodation between London and South Wales is quite significant. But luckily for Joe, he was able to move in with relatives in Basingstoke, just 45 minutes from London. This allowed him to save some money while still being close to the capital, where he had ready access to the vibrant London jazz scene. It wasn't long before one of his college peers, trumpeter Evan Clegg, called asking if Joe played stride piano, a style of jazz piano prevalent in the 20s and 30s, developed from early ragtime. An offer of a regular weekly gig hung in the balance. At that time, Joe's main influences were far more contemporary, with his style influenced by the likes of Brad Meldow and Keith Jarrett. But Joe took note of a long-standing piece of advice. If somebody offers you a great opportunity, just say yes, then figure out how on earth you're going to do it afterwards. Evan called me up and he was like, yeah, do you, do you play this music? And I was like, yeah, kind of, yeah. But actually, I, I didn't even say kind of. I was like, yeah, yeah, for sure, I love that music. And obviously, like, I, was, I didn't have anything to do in, during the days when I was living in Basingstoke. So I just practiced and I'd, I'd play along to Teddy Wilson, just trying to work out some of the left-hand things and finding, finding my feet in that world. So he offered me like this sort of chair, playing music in this pub every, every Sunday, like old swing music. And yeah, like, like at first I did it as, as a job, but as the years sort of went by, um, it become much, much less of a gimmick for me, and and I, I loved it. Like, I mean, I I'm so in love with the music, with, with that music now. Um, it's quite, it's quite crazy to think that it was not even a part of who I was as a as a musician. You know, when I was when, when I was studying. Through this residency, as is often the case in the industry, Joe started to get more work, including his first taste of European touring with the band leader Benoit Velafon with whom he worked extensively for quite some time. But eventually, Joe started to feel stuck in a rut, and a trip to Barcelona had him thinking that his future may lie in Spain. 
So much so, Joe actually booked one-way tickets and a number of property viewings in Barcelona. But fate was yet to play her hand, and one week before Joe was set to leave the UK for warmer climates, in stepped a certain reedsman by the name of Giacomo Smith and Kansas Smitty's house band. Now, Smitty's pianist at the time was none other than Reuben James, and he had just been offered a job touring with Sam Smith. This left the Smitty's chair empty and a recording studio booked for their new album. I found those guys really daunting at first because they were st- like cr- like crazy standards. And I mean, especially I remember walking into uh, the, the the Haggerston one one night, um, and actually Ruben it was Ruben James he was on melodica and Giacomo Smith was on was on clarinet and they were playing Body and Soul and I'd never ever heard a clarinet played like that ever before. I could literally couldn't believe my ears. I was so like blown away and. You know, to see, like, for instance, Ferg Island on on, on bass like, with uh, Kansas Smitties and Pedro Segundo and Pete Horsfall, they were all like the same standard, and I was, I, it was really daunting. I found it really hard to imagine myself in that band, you know. So yeah, so I'd been offered like gigs and stuff with them before, but I'd always turned it down. I'm like, no, I'm not ready yet. I'm not, I'm not ready to play with these people. These people like, they're like young masters of this music. I, I can't hang with this yet I, I don't really know I don't I would literally wouldn't know what to do and eventually like something in my head was just like okay like, let's give it a go if this could be like the get out of jail card so I could just use this and if this goes well I'll, I won't move to Barcelona so then uh, we recorded the album over three days in an amazing studio which one of the studios I go back to an awful lot now which is uh, it's called Durham Studios run by the amazing Lewis Durham I decided that I'm going to stay in London and I'm going to just work with this band because I've been given a massive opportunity in. and the, the calibre of musicians was just, it was just completely uh, humbling every single time. And yeah, I, I really, yeah, that, that was my, my time with, with, with that band and, you know, still continuing now, even, you know, even through the pandemic, they've, they've been able to sort of mould mold themselves into an online, you know, it's really, it's really inspiring to be around those people and those, those minds. Um, yeah, just never get, just teaching you never to really get complacent and to keep pushing, even though the odds might be against you. It's really inspiring having yeah, people, not, not even musicians, but people in your life like that. Like, I don't know, it really, it's, I'm so grateful to like, to, to call them mates and, and, and to be able to make music with them too. You're listening to the Jazz Matters podcast at jazzmatters.net. Playing with Kansas Smitties helped Joe to tick off some of the major boxes on the jazz musician's bucket list, such as playing London's famous Ronnie Scotts and also playing with Smitties guitarist Dave Archer at the Royal Albert Hall as part of the Guy Barker and Winston Rollins double big band. During this time, Joe was also working with peers such as Scottish drummer Corrie Dix and Joe was also working with the Old Hat Jazz Band. In fact, it was on a gig with them at Brixton's Blues Kitchen that Joe met another incredible reedsman who would become a huge part of his professional life, as well as a great friend. It 
was a name that everyone sort of uh, was 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 talking about for so long. And oh, have you ever played with uh, Adrian Cox? You've got to play with Adrian Cox. He's incredible. And and um, yeah, Adrian actually just turned out to be on the gig. And um, yeah, I, I remember like you know obviously being completely blown away by Adrian too, and you know realizing this is this this guy's like the real deal. And then yeah, on on the way back we were like chatting, catching up, and I was saying, oh yeah, look, look, look we, we've got so many mates in common. I can't believe I've only just met you now. And, and yeah, we we, we j- jumped jumped on the Victoria Line from Brixton. We were just chatting away, chatting away. We got off at like King's Cross, and then we were still chatting and waited for the same bus, and you know, chatting about yeah, continued. Continue. And then we got off at the same stop, and I was like, hang on a minute, this is so random. And he was like, where do you live? And I was like, I live there. And, turns out he'd lived behind me for like for like the last couple of years and we'd never bumped into each other so um from then we like yeah we'd we would like constantly hang out we'd go for coffees on on the uh, there was a little a cafe um we'd just chat about him yeah we'd, he'd come around I had the piano at mine so we would just pl- uh, we would like work out some tunes and then we sort of well adrian decided to do this sort of profoundly blue tour um, we'd, we'd pay homage to the amazing clarinet player Edwin Hall, and yeah, we we toured that for um, yeah for like a couple of years, and yeah, and, and I've still still work with Adrian now. We we, we 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 write and record so much together. Yeah, so continuing working with Adrian is always like such a like real pleasure, and he's like such a brother to me. And hardly any time goes by without us seeing each other or at least chatting to each other on the phone. It's, yeah, he's like a real brother with that. Of all the exciting projects and great musicians Joe has been fortunate enough to work with and be part of over his time in London, understandably, the one he is probably most proud of is his work with his own trio. For quite some time, Joe had admired the work of drummer Shane Forbes and bassist Tom Farmer, having travelled down regularly from Cardiff to London to see them play, prior to moving there himself. Every time Joe had the opportunity to play with either of them, he would find himself thinking over some of the sounds and grooves that had come out of the gig and looking to see how he could develop them into something more. When Joe finally felt like he had enough original material, there was only one lineup in mind to help him get out and play it. Luckily, Shane and Tom were both on board. We did our first gig in like 2018 at Kansas Smitty's and that was really nice. I remember having like the best feeling afterwards. It was really nice to actually get to put your own artistic stamp on something rather as opposed to like working for other people and playing, you know, playing other music. It was really nice to like, number one, write your own music and number two, perform it with your band. And yeah, so it was, it was a real like breakthrough moment like just 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 a personal growth it's something i've always wanted to do and i've always wanted to do with them as well so with the band in place and new material down the next logical step is to get into the recording studio but releasing music for the first time under your own name can be a daunting task Fortunately for Joe, he had already caught the attention of Ubuntu Records and knowing he would be in great company, Joe signed with them in 2019. But why was getting his music recorded and released so important to Joe at this stage of his career? 
the main reason why I kind of wanted to do it was just to prove to myself and, and just to sort of get, my, get myself stuck out of the rut of recording things on my phone and then listen to it loads and loads and loads and then just picking holes of it and realising like it's rubbish or you know thinking it's rubbish just because you listen to it and you're, you're, you're like your your own's worst critic so yeah so I kind of wanted to just just do it just to like at least do it once and then be like it's out there now and then you know like I think it was Jason Rebello he, he was like you, you use recordings that you put out it's, it's a bookmark in, in your progression as a musician hopefully they, they, the quality gets better and you get happy and happy with your playing um, so yeah so after he sort of gave me the pep talk and actually he's been someone I've gone back to an awful lot of like almost like a mentor really so I was a massive fan of him but I, I still am a massive fan of his Joe did indeed go into the studio with his trio and the result was two fantastic EPs. His debut release, Daydreamer, came out in 2019 and was followed by For Everything Else in 2020, both of which were met with great enthusiasm and which radiate Joe's musical personality, a sound that at times may come as a surprise to those who are only familiar with his previous work with other artists. Now, yes, it's true, there is never a good time for a global health pandemic, but for Joe Webb's career, it really couldn't have been more unfortunately timed. After a particularly busy and successful two years or so, and right in the middle of arranging his first full-length album with a studio book to record it, for Joe, as for everybody else, everything stood still. Although it has to be said that Joe has still managed to keep himself reasonably busy over the last year. Initially, he just threw himself into practice, working to iron out what he felt were shortcomings in his own playing. As restrictions lifted slightly in the UK, he also managed to play some live stream shows, including those that saw him reunite with Giacomo Smith. And eventually, the whole Kansas Smitty's house band managed to get together to write, rehearse and record a brand new, yet-to-be-released album. Joe has even seen a couple of European gigs, and as we record this episode, Joe is currently nestled in the south of France, where after nearly a year, he has finally found the inspiration to start writing more new material. So as we look with optimism further into 2021, what is Joe hoping it will deliver for him? To resume touring and um, playing for people again. I really miss and really appreciative audiences and you know feeling a real vibe in the room when you actually play. That makes our job as performers so much easier when you kind of have to... Um, it's much harder to read a room when there's no one in it. Also, to actually, you know, carry on where you know where I left off with with Tom and Shane. We were sort of working on a forthcoming album, uh, which was sort of put on hold. But yeah, I guess just you know usual playing life. I like I wouldn't particularly want anything more than what I had before, uh, before the, all, all this all this started.
From his debut EP, Daydreamer, that was Joe Webb with his version of the Oasis anthem, Some Might Say. And don't forget that both Daydreamer and For Everything Else are both available now wherever you get your music. If you want to find out even more about Joe Webb or follow his latest news, then you can go to his website, joewebmusic.com, and you can also find him across most social media as Joe Webb Music. And on Facebook, he has even been putting out live-streamed solo shows, which have been well worth tuning into. And of course, if you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or any other podcast platform, I will pop all of the useful links in the show notes for you. As for me, jazzmatters.net is where you need to go to get all of the latest news and you can find the links to all of the social media accounts there too. And if you enjoy the podcast, please do spread the word and please rate and review wherever you listen, as it really does help us reach even more people. But while I'm on that subject, I just want to say a huge thank you to every one of you who listens to this show. The Jazz Matters podcast has regular listeners in over 50 countries around the world, which blows my mind a little bit. And even though we went six months without a new episode, I've still seen literally hundreds of you listening to previous episodes every single month. So a genuine and sincere thank you from me to you. And I hope you all enjoy the exciting guests I have coming up in the weeks ahead. A massive thank you to Joe Webb for being a part of this episode. And I'll be back in two weeks time. And until then, thank you and take care.